Do you ever work with customers in different cultures? Are any of your colleagues or employees in or from another culture? Perhaps would you consider working in another country or culture someday? If your answer is yes to any of those questions, stick around for an important lesson on how to prepare for working abroad. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 166. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. I'm so glad that you're back with us for another episode, and today I am thrilled to welcome a guest who I've been working with over the last few years at Dale Carnegie, and I'm thrilled to have him along with because we're going to tackle a topic that I've actually been meaning to tackle a while here on the show and have had a few people ask about, which is how to work in different cultures and how to handle different cultural aspects that come up when working abroad or working across cultures. And uh, this is the first of hopefully a number of conversations that will happen around that. Um, And the person who I have with me is someone who has lived this firsthand, and that is Nathan Shubai. Nathan is a senior vice president at our office here in Dale with Dale Carnegie in Southern Los Angeles. We've worked together over the last few years extensively. Uh, He is awesome at what he does and has been a real leader in the Dale Carnegie business, uh, both from a uh, business growth standpoint, and also he is a extremely talented instructor. So uh, he brings a lot of wisdom on how to work with people, but he also was at our office out in India in Mumbai for, was it a year or 18 months, Nathan? Yeah, it was about a year. Yeah. And so uh, you, I know, had so much wisdom that came out of that experience and lessons, and uh, Nathan has released a book on Amazon called Emails from Mumbai about his experiences in Mumbai and working abroad, and I thought it would be a blast to have you come in and share some of your wisdom with us. So welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. I'm really excited as well. Thanks. Well, before we get into some of the cultural aspects of living and working abroad. How did you decide to move abroad and why did you choose India? Well, essentially back in 2010, my my job disappeared. Uh, some people can relate to that. And I had a world of opportunity right in front of me. And I thought, wow, you know, for years, I've been telling people they need to live a more intentional life and to live a life with, with less regrets. Hmm. And I thought I have to listen to my own words. And so I knew I'd have huge regrets if I didn't take this opportunity. And so I thought, where could I go that would really be different? Where, where could I learn the most about uh, the world and, and learn the most about myself? And uh, back in the 90s, I lived in Singapore, and I found that was a really interesting experience, but it wasn't the same cultural um, diversity that I was kind of looking for. And I actually went on a side trip. I went to Nepal, mm. and I was, I was hiking in the, in the mountains. And I came back, and I said, I want to go to India now. So I went to the consulate to get a visa and I waited in line and I got to the front of the line and they said, well, show me your plane ticket in and out of India. I said, well, I don't have that yet. So 
I went to a travel agency and I said, I'd like to get a plane ticket to India and back. And they said, well, you need a visa. And I thought to myself, wait a second. <laughs> this is a little bit backwards. So I thought this sounds like an interesting uh, challenge to me. I thought someday, whenever I get a chance to get that visa and get into India, I'm going to go there and really check it out. And so mm. I want to do something completely different. And, uh, and that's what I did. And so it was just a radical difference from, from what I'm used to. And, and it also worked out that our offices uh, exist in Mumbai and, and they, they are always in need of uh, good people. And so I, I did my research. And also it's, it's huge to be able to speak the same language. In India, there's a, a large percentage of the professional population that uh, speaks English, whereas in China, that's not the case. So it's a little bit difficult in different countries. And so India seemed like a good fit. And uh, I went for it. Fascinating. Well, I didn't even know you had lived in Singapore, so I'm learning new things right now. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting you mentioned that too, because I know you've traveled around the world and for your work with Dale Carnegie, but also just personally because you have real passion for travel. But there is a difference between visiting somewhere for a week or two and moving there and living there. And so I'm curious, what are some of the things you did to prepare knowing you were going to be there for however long you were going to be there? I don't think you knew going into it how long you were going to be there, did you? Not exactly. No, I kind of wanted to leave it open. I thought at least a year, maybe two years. And like like you said, I, I traveled a lot and I had a lot of travel guides and I used those. And those are fine for backpackers and things like that. Um, but they just didn't really teach you about living there. Mm. Um, I read some books about the cultural differences and those were helpful, even some novels. Um, but I found that nothing really gave you the the real experience like being there. So I even tried, you know, watching movies. Movies were a way to see what where you were going what it looked like how people behave a little bit you could get the sights and sounds but one thing movies don't prepare you for is the smells of different places and every country has its own certain smell in india that's uh, certainly true so uh movies helped but uh probably one of the more valuable things was talking to people um people that have been there most importantly people that live there or are from there and uh you know you begin to learn things that you'd never learn from a book you know for example when i was uh, flying into Mumbai for the very first time, I looked down out of the window of the plane and I saw blue tarps everywhere. And it occurred to me that those were people's homes. I found out later that 60% of the population of Mumbai is homeless mm. in the traditional sense that we think about homelessness. And nothing can quite prepare you for that, but it would have been nice to understand that going into it. This, the shock of getting off the airplane and seeing that everywhere was just really hard to... Uh, really hard to fathom. It kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Um, another thing that's important is to, to pick up some of the language. Even if you don't have to know the languages or all the a language to be able to speak it fluently, but if you can at least have some greetings, how to say please and thank you, it shows that you care about them, you value those people, and they change completely when you start off by using words that they're familiar with. Even if you don't say them properly, people really, really appreciate that, you know. So just learning some of the protocols and things to expect. One thing I didn't know about India, I knew that a lot of people were vegetarian. I didn't know that more than half the people were vegetarian. And even those that weren't, most people still mostly ate vegetarian. So me as a carnivore expected to eat meat everywhere. And that was a, a huge shock that it would have been good to know in advance that wasn't going to be the case. I need to be mentally prepared. So I think the biggest thing is to, to give yourself some time to be get that mental preparation. Once you 
begin to think about what's what's about to happen in your life and process it for a while, it kind of strengthens your resolve. So when you're ready to leave quickly, you stick around because you've already prepared yourself mentally for that. So that was a that was a huge piece for me as to really being mentally prepared for doing that. And then, and then finally, I think you can overanalyze anything. So just don't uh, just don't worry about it too much. Do the best you can, but there's no substitute for just jumping in and, and showing up. So that's huge. And I, I imagine there's some aspect of this that you know you get there and you're there for a few weeks, and then some of the things you didn't necessarily think about as far as the long term start to become apparent or show up. Um, did you have that experience where things just came up after a few weeks where you're like, oh yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, or you know, this is something that I hadn't considered or thought through? Probably every minute of every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I went to a, um, the grocery store to buy food, and I went to the biggest most exotic, most international grocery store I could find. It took me an hour to get there by taxi. And, and I got there and they still didn't have anything I wanted. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to find the things that I'm used to. I need to get used to what I, what I can have. And that was a huge shock. Because what I learned from that is I didn't need all the things that I thought I needed. Uh-huh. My, my definition of wants and needs changed radically. And now I think so differently now that I'm back home. But do I really need that or do I just want that? And it kind of liberated me about a, a lot. And I think differently about every day now in the U.S. as a result of that. So that was a huge awakening for me. It's interesting you say that because I've worked with you only after you've returned from India. And you do very much strike me as an essentialist of what do I really need and what is something that's maybe just preference and I don't necessarily need this. And I really, I really admire that about you actually. And that's, that's, that's interesting that that came out of your experience in India. Yeah. Thank you. What, what are some of the obstacles that you face that you didn't necessarily anticipate? And, and I think that that's something for those who are either considering working abroad or, or, or just working interculturally may want to consider in if going into something like this. Well, I think from a professional perspective, uh, some of the biggest obstacles are the way that uh, people do business that you would never expect. Uh, anything outside of the West is essentially completely different than what we expect. For example, um, I've worked many years in business development and sales. And what we consider to be sales is really identifying needs of our customer and showing value. And that's a new, it's almost really, it's truly a foreign concept to a lot of cultures. So I remember going on sales calls and expecting to ask a lot of questions and identify needs and really show how what we did might be a fit or might not be a fit. And it really wasn't that at all. I remember talking to um, a, an organization once and, and they basically made up their mind that they knew our reputation. They knew what we did. They didn't even really knew, know how it fit in exactly and what they might get from it. But just based upon reputation alone, they were ready to buy. All they were ready to do was negotiate. So everything mm. came down to negotiation. A salesperson. Yeah. The salesperson would come in. They would take their, the price that they wanted, and they would essentially put it at 1.5 times that value and announce that. And the, the negotiation would come back from the other side from the customer, cutting that in half. And this would go back and forth for quite some time, oftentimes maybe even take a couple of weeks. And finally, they'd both get to that one number that they both kind of knew was going to be there anyway. It seemed very inefficient, kind of ridiculous, but a huge part of the culture. And that was the norm. And 
it was really hard to impose my way of doing things and our Western way on people that weren't ready for that. And uh, so that was, that was pretty shocking. That's so interesting. So the conversation was really about the negotiation and the amount versus the need or identifying the need. The, the customer had already identified the need up front. Is that, is that common for, for how business is done out there from what you could tell? I, I think so. I'm, the business has opened up its doors in the last uh, couple decades uh, to the world in, in India and in a lot of parts in Asia so dramatically that there, there was never really the foundation of, of uh, opening the way we sense it here. And so they just haven't really seen things from the way that we see them. We've been imposing our way of doing things. And even in my office, people would talk about what, the numbers and what, what kind of percentage of gross profit did you get? Whereas in the US, we would talk about how did what we do f- fill the need for that customer? How did we add value for them? Mm, interesting. Right? So, interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is fascinating. And you and I have talked about this too. And there's some really interesting discussions going on in the research from a sales standpoint of how the conversation has really changed and the dynamics have changed around selling in this new environment. Because everyone can go online and do their own research very quickly and in many cases very efficiently and make decisions pretty fast and how the um, the quote-unquote salesperson really needs to bring something new to that dialogue, even here in the States and in North American culture now, than in the past. It's not, it's not just about anymore teaching about what you do and what the different features and benefits are because people can figure that out pretty quickly and in, in the internet age. And so it's interesting how that, that you know, that's played out in that culture and the situations that you were de- dealing with too. Yeah, absolutely. I think people make up their mind um, to a large degree before they even see your face, just based upon your online presence. And uh, so that's different here than it is there uh, in, in, in other cultures, but it's getting more and more the norm. So we have to prepare for that. And then we have to address the things that people can't sense uh, online and by identifying the, the needs that the, they might not see themselves and really truly understand. You have quite a reputation in our business of being someone who's been very successful at developing customers and being an instructor. And so I, I suspect a little bit of your reputation preceded you when you went out and went into um, a business, an office as a part of the world that was more of in the developing zone of Dale Carnegie. And so I'm curious, what are some of the leadership challenges you ran into um, in trying and working to influence others, both internally within the organization, but also in leading customers and participants in classrooms that you were working with that you found that you ran into? Tons and tons of differences and tons of challenges. One of the biggest things that I never even thought about was that uh, people don't necessarily trust us uh, from the West, especially in India where there was a history of, of colonization and and um, there there's always the underlying difference that uh that what's what am i really getting at what do i really want i'm I'm hiding something i never was i just wanted to be there and soak up the culture and people constantly thought i was trying to steal their jobs people would talk about me in front of my face in a different language and i knew it was negative because you can tell by the body language and so there was some real challenges there but what i found also is that once you got over that once you built their trust they were people loved 
had such a deep caring and love for you because of your willingness to experience their culture that I know if today if I flew to India, I would have a, a number of people that would bend over backwards to take care of me and treat me like family. And that's uh, even, I felt that stronger than I, I do here in the U.S. So that's how mm. connected we are. Interesting, yeah. interesting. I, I have heard that from others too, that that sincere and genuine effort to learn and to demonstrate that you care about a culture and a language, even if you don't get it right all the time, that people really notice and appreciate that and 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 engage with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other challenges that uh, I saw as being a leader is just because what you've been successful with back home doesn't necessarily translate. And you, you need to be really flexible in your leadership style, I noticed. If you're a driver back home, that doesn't necessarily going to work in a new culture. Mm. So you have to be really ready to be flexible in the moment and be really aware of how you come across because I've, I would often see Westerners impose their style and it just didn't work. And um, one, But if you were flexible, you'd find out new ways of, of handling situations. And what's a, what's a situation where you saw either you experienced yourself or maybe you saw another Westerner get into where you just, that flexibility wasn't there and as a result, they didn't make the connection or didn't earn the trust? Yeah, um, especially in Asia, quite often people will say yes, even if they mean no, and because it's part of the culture. So I would see some Westerners come in and, and a, they were training uh, trainers on how to do things differently or in new ways, and, but they just weren't getting through. They're uh, imposing their way upon people and they didn't really connect. And I could tell because I'd been there long enough just from the just watching people to see that they weren't really making that connection. And so I was always working to, to make sure that it really sunk in. And you could just kind of tell from just looking someone in the eye whether or not it's, it's making sense. Mm. And uh, so there's just lots of different situations that come up where you just have to kind of trust your gut and, and try to put yourself in the shoes of other, the other person um, and really try to feel like what it like, it's like to be them with a whole different culture and history behind them. You've hit on this a little bit, but one of the, the things I was really interested in is what behaviors you ultimately needed to change in order to be as effective in the culture professionally, but also to make connections personally over time as you got to know the culture and as you lived there and built friendships, what were the behavior changes you made in order to be effective? Probably the biggest thing I had to change was to forget that I was an American and try to really be a local. I, re I recall every day getting into a taxi and I was always treated like a guest, even though I was, I felt like I was a local because I lived there. Every day I'd have a new taxi driver. Every day the taxi driver would refuse to turn the meter on because they wanted to charge me way more than they, uh, because I, was, I looked different. I obviously had a lot more money than uh, the average local person did. And it was just a constant battle. But once I treated, once I felt like a local, they could sense it. They could really see that I belonged there. I knew what I was doing and they immediately turned the meter on. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. So um, I think having that kind of that attitude, like you're, you're, you're a part of that culture. And I, I would take the attitude every day to think, today is gonna be more memorable than the most memorable day all year back home. Mm. I would think to myself, I'm gonna learn more today than I would in a typical month back home. And that's really extremely valuable. So that got helped me to embrace the challenges that pop up every single day. I remember thinking to myself every day, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to eat today? Because there's not a lot of opportunity to eat anything other than 
spicy Indian food. I love Indian food, don't get me wrong, but three times a day for a year, it gets a little bit difficult if you're not used to it. And so there was many times I would skip meals altogether and go to bed hungry because I just couldn't do it again, you know? But I still just embrace that. Now I still, people say, you must never eat Indian food, and I love Indian food to this day, right? I, I hear people with accents, Indian accents here in the US, and I, I love hearing that. I remember getting frustrated because I would not always be able to understand what people were talking about. That was really, really difficult, but I knew that I would appreciate it someday, so I, I learned a lot of patience. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. One time I actually taught a class, and uh, I was asking people in the class, does that make sense? Is everyone with me? And I remember looking specifically at this gentleman, and he shook his head no. And I thought, I wonder why he doesn't get it. So I kept going, and then I said, does that make sense? Are you all with me? And I kept saying this, and he kept shaking his head no. And at the end of the day, he came up to me and said, that was amazing. I learned so much today. I said, well, you were kept shaking your head. Well, in that culture, people move their head in different ways, meaning different things. Some people nod their head as yes. Some people shake their head, and some people do kind of a different, like you might see in, on different TV shows, um, how people move their head side to side. And they all mean the same thing. They're with you. So I, was, I just had to really be flexible and really be, embrace the different changes and challenges that I'd be faced with and really get excited about those as opposed to getting frustrated and lose my patience. Mm. Boy, I, I bet it just required a, a lot of mental discipline on your end to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the example with the taxi. At some point you got in and they just started turning on the meter. Was there anything you can identify that was just different about your attitude or how you approached it at that time than had been true maybe at the very beginning that was just going on mentally for you that was different? I probably had a smile on my face. I probably got excited to see that person. And um, I just wanted to connect with them as a, as a human. I think that they connected with me by giving me the respect that I was hoping for. I think in the beginning, I was a little bit resentful that things weren't my way. And I, I, it was kind of, they could see that, they could sense that, and they, they were going to uh, respond back the same in probably equally negative way. Hmm. It's amazing how universal the principles that Dale Carnegie teaches are, aren't they? I mean, smile be genuinely interested in other people, that those are the kinds of things that tend to transcend culture amongst people. And when you do focus on that, like how, it, how interesting it is that a lot of people do respond to that really well, even in different cultures. Yeah. What advice do you have for leaders of our community who maybe are thinking about working cross-culturally or maybe even currently work across culturally, even if they aren't there personally, but they're interacting with people who are in different cultures, different time zones, different countries. How should a leader approach that? I think that uh, we all consider international work and travel as a huge benefit while we're there. The part I, didn't, I never expected was really the biggest benefit is how it changes the way people see me here. When I talk to people and tell them my story, everybody lights up, doesn't matter where they're from. They go, wow, you did that, that's really amazing. I think they respect me more because the, they realize the challenge of uh, what I did, and it took a lot of courage and guts to do it. And I think they also see me as someone that's probably pretty open and approachable, and, and um, I, I'm respectful of all people. And so it changes my relationships a bit here. And they seem like real simple things, but that's a really quick way to build trust with people. And boy, when you tell people from the country you visited where you lived, when I meet people from India here, they can't believe it. And I have friends, instant friends, 
It's mm. amazing. That was a huge, a huge uh, benefit that I never expected. Also, the the principle of try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. Until you really walk in their shoes, or eat their meals, or walk their streets, or take their taxis, or live and work in their world, you don't really know how other people live in, in different places. And and I think that that experience, because it was a kind of long experience, it I took it back here, and now I really try to see where other people are coming from in every different kind of culture that's right within the country I live in. Because people are different, and you, you really need to work hard to see where they're coming from to really be able to relate and communicate with them more effectively. And I think I make stronger connections now as a result of that. So things I never expected came out of that. So I think that's a huge part of it. And um, so that's why I really recommend that people, if they can, do what you do whatever you can to, to try to at least, if, if you can't live and work there, at least try to travel to different cultures that you'd never expect you'd want to go to. Do something completely outside your comfort zone. And, um, you know, if you can, maybe if you have a company that has offices there, it's easier to transfer over. If you can work in a, uh, with a company like that, that makes it very easy. Um, a lot of people make excuses why they can't do it. They say, well, I have kids. I can't do it. Um, I have a job. I'm tied down. I can't do it. Well, there's ways to be flexible. And uh, I can't think of a better thing to do than once your kids are of the right age to take them to a culture, uh, even if it's just for a short trip, to see how other people live and experience that firsthand. Is huge. Mm, I love it. And and I love what you have done after this trip too. I mean, one is you talk about it often and you talk about your experiences of working in a different culture, both the positives and also the challenges. And you and I have had several conversations about that. And I've heard you talk about it, which I think is really neat that you're so uh, open and honest about your experience and helping other people learn from it. And the other thing I love is that you've, you've furthered this, this, um, this learning you've had with others by by writing this book and tell me uh, about emails from Mumbai and what it's about. And I'm also, you have a really great cause behind it too. Well, I originally, my friends were all sending me emails saying, what's it like to live there? Tell me about the experience. And I said, well, I could kind of explain it, but that didn't really do it much justice. I wrote a couple of emails that didn't really paint the picture very well. So I figured the best way to do it is to tell a story. So I thought of some of the most, uh, the stories that stood out in my mind the most. And I would, best I could paint a picture of what that was like to be in that situation, to live through that experience. And I spent, you know, a number of hours on each email, just really putting as much detail as possible into it and explaining it. And I sent them home and, and all my friends and family loved what they had to hear or what they could read. And they felt like they were there and they didn't actually have to travel to India to, to get that experience. And so I kept writing them and it, and it really turned out to be a large number of emails and when I got home, someone said, you can't just let that sit there in your, in your mailbox. You need to publish that. And I thought, well, I never thought about that, but maybe that's a good idea. And I put them all together and it was as long as a book. I thought, this is interesting. So hmm. I thought, well, how can I give back um, just a, a small fraction of the life-changing experience I had from the people of India and, and Southeast Asia when I was visiting over there? And I thought, well, why don't I uh, put this online, e-publish this book, and then give all the, bene uh, all the proceeds to charity. So I found a really great organization called iSanctuary, and they actually help victims of human trafficking with uh, getting a, a new start on life. And uh, what really turned me on to this organization is that the women that are involved in this, they don't take a salary. And many of them live in Mumbai. And I know how hard that is, and they've been there for a number of years, and I thought they need help. And so I thought, what a great way to do it. So I'm really excited about it. 
I'm excited about it too. I've already got the book on my Kindle app, so I'm really uh, looking forward to reading it. And uh, I sh- we should mention too, the book is two ninety nine, so it is it's it's so inexpensive. It's a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about a cultural experience that you've had that will be certainly beneficial to those of you who are thinking about working cross-culturally or maybe work with folks in this part of the world of how to approach that from a little different lens and also a great way to support a really valuable organization out there that's doing some great work uh, against human trafficking. So just, just such a great win for everybody. Nathan, I am so grateful you took time to come down uh, and uh, come in the studio here and appear on the show. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. I know a lot of folks will really benefit from what you've said here today. Thanks, Dave. I had a really great time. Appreciate it. Nathan Shubai is a senior VP at our Dale Carnegie office here in Southern Los Angeles, and he is the author of the book, Emails from Mumbai. Check it out on Amazon. Thanks, Nathan. I've had the privilege of working with Nathan over the last couple of years on almost a daily basis, and there's so many great things I could say about him, but the one thing that really strikes me after this conversation and and on a regular basis is just his attitude. Don't you love his attitude about just wanting to learn and to grow and his willingness to dedicate himself to learn about others and to learn about another culture? And you just hear that throughout this conversation, and I get to hear that on a daily basis and my interactions with him too. And I love his orientation of it's not about me. I went to this culture to learn about others. And yes, I went through the struggles that anyone would go through, but of really wanting to learn and to grow. And so many of us who've had the privilege of working with Nathan have really learned a lot from him who didn't even weren't even along with on this journey. So I just think it's a, I think it's a great way if you want to challenge your thinking and to learn something new. I really hope that you will ask yourself coming out of this conversation today, what's one thing you could do today that would change your attitude to be other person oriented? I hope you'll challenge yourself to do that today. And when you do, I hope you'll take a moment to let us know what happened and what you saw come of that when you shifted your attitude and how you were approaching others. So please do join the conversation at coachingforleaders.com slash 166. At the bottom of the page there, you'll see a place to jump in. I know Nathan will enjoy jumping into the conversation as well. And I do hope you'll pick up the book, Emails from Mumbai. I've already got it on my Kindle app, as I mentioned. And I should mention as well that uh, even if you don't have a Kindle, which I don't, you can still get the book if you have an Amazon account. Uh, Amazon has Kindle apps for pretty much every device these days. So whatever device you're using, even if it's a desktop computer, they've got a Kindle app so you can access the book that way. And uh, like he said, it goes to a great cause to all of the proceeds. So really encourage you to check it out. And I also hope that you will join the conversation in the coming weeks for the next Q&A show coming up, which is going to be episode number 169, which also happens to be 13 squared for you math people. (laughs) 169 is going to be the topic strategy. So going to be taking questions on strategy. So anything in relation to that, as always, happy to consider questions off topic as well. 
Um, but send them your way. Already have a bunch of questions already, uh, uh, by the way. So uh, hope you will get your question in soon. And Bonnie and I are looking forward to tackling those. The best place to submit a question, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And when you get to that page, you'll see a couple of options for getting your question to us. Big thank you this week to weekly subscribers who jumped in on the weekly updates that come out on Wednesday. That is Shashir Gupta, Jason Ennis, Austin Okerlund, Nels, uh, I'm sorry, Nos Alberta. I hope I said that right, Nos. Nice to know you. Daryl Weber, Fran Flett Hollenrake, Falan Rowe, Joy McMillan, Madhu Prasad, Jerry Granham, and Deb Schroyer. Hope, uh, hope I pronounced all your names right. And welcome to the weekly update. If you would like to get the weekly update in your inbox as well every Wednesdays, that will include the notes from every podcast that's aired on Mondays, all of the notes. Uh, each week I go through and write pretty detailed notes of what was said and hit on the key points in the interviews. And probably most importantly, the links of things that were mentioned in each conversation. So you'll always get that in your email on Wednesday at the bottom of the email. And at the top of the email is always an article from me on something that will help you to become a more effective leader. In addition, when you join the weekly update for the very first time, you will also immediately get access to my guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including the two that I rely on weekly. And you can subscribe at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And hey, speaking of having Nathan on as a guest, Nathan's also uh, contributing to the Carnegie Coach podcast that I've been airing each week now over the last few weeks. It's going Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So if you're looking for more inspiration and advice on how to work better with people, check it out. Just search for Carnegie Coach on any podcast app or directory or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this show, or you can go to carnegiecoach.com. Hey, have a fabulous week, everyone, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Take care.